0: Let's pray together before we have some time together in God's Word. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your Word. And Lord, as we look into it today, I pray that it would change our lives. Lord, thank you for Jesus Christ and how he was lifted up for us and how he took care of our sin. And thank you that just through simple faith and trust in him as our Savior, we are freed from our penalty of sin. Lord, we just ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, by raise of hand, tell me how many of you say that you like snakes? You like snakes. Raise your hand if you like snakes. Okay, very, very few. All right, that's pretty consistent, I think, with most of the population. And uh, when I was growing up, my aunt lived at a, a house in Des Moines, and as near as we could tell we figured that there was like a den or a nest of garter snakes that lived underneath her back step. So as we, as I would go there sometimes and help her like remove vegetation and kind of clean up the backyard and mow for her sometimes, there was a great, great possibility that you would see one, two, maybe three garter snakes. Now I'm not a fan of snakes and uh, I am thankful that here in Iowa we of course I think you have to look really hard to find maybe a, a timber rattlesnake or something, but in Iowa, we're, we're blessed to not have venomous snakes. So anyway, my dad, uh, my dad always told me that the best way to take care of a snake was to cut its tail off right behind its head. So that was the battle cry that was ringing in my ears as I was taking care of things in my aunt's backyard. And so there was, uh, there was quite a few snakes that lost their life when I was around her backyard. But anyway, the, the section that we're going to talk about today in Numbers 21 is we're going to talk about some snakes. And there was a problem of biting snakes in Numbers chapter 21. So our big idea for today is this, that Jesus is the only cure for the snake bite of sin. Jesus is the only cure for the snake bite of sin. So as you uh, head to Numbers chapter 21 in your Bibles, Numbers chapter 21, I'll try to catch you up to speed on where we're at in this section of the book of Numbers. The Israelites had been wandering around the wilderness for for almost a generation, and many people, of course, had died, and that was part of of the, the problem as they went through the wilderness was they had to have a whole generation of people die off. You look uh, maybe in the headings in Numbers 21. It says uh, there at the, the first part of chapter 20, the death of Miriam. Uh, you look see Moses strikes the rock there in chapter 20, and then the death of Aaron is right before chapter 21. So all these things are kind of coming to a close for the for the children of Israel there through their wilderness wanderings. Well, now here we are at. Uh, Numbers 21, and I'll read for you verses 1 through 3. When the Canaanite, the king of Arad, who lived in the Negev, heard that Israel was coming by way of, of Atherim, he fought against Israel and took some of them captive. And Israel vowed a vow to the Lord and said, "'If you will indeed give this people into my hand, then I will devote their cities to destruction.'" And the Lord heeded the voice of Israel and gave over the Canaanites, and they devoted them and their cities to destruction. So the name of the place was called Horma. When we talk about Horma here, that is actually the city where, if you remember the whole incident back with the spies, right when they were supposed to be headed into the promised land, the two spies said, hey, let's go, let's go kill off these Canaanites. God's with us. Let's just take care of business. But there were 10 others who said, we can't do this. We're going to, they're going to kill us off. The cities are well fortified. And then when the, when the people realized that this is going to be a, a long-term problem for us, they're like, well, let's just go ahead and let's go ahead and we'll get into battle and we'll kill them off. We can do this. And what happened? They ended up getting defeated, right? They were outside of what God had instructed them to do. So here we are back at, <clears throat> excuse me, Horma again. But this time, the king, the Canaanite king, attacked them. They did not attack him. And then what did they do? They prayed, and they asked for God's leadership, God's direction, and God's blessing on what they were going to tackle. God, of course, delivered. They did what they said they would do. They were going to devote them to destruction. And that's actually what Horma means, is they devoted them to destruction. What's cool here is the people follow God's instructions, and the other thing is they had victory where they had previously been defeated. So there's lots of things in life where maybe we failed at something and then we're able to go back and we're able to do it again and we have success, we have victory in that. Well, you can think that the Israelites, they were feeling really good about this because where the previous generation had failed, they were able to have victory there. Let's continue on verses 4 and 5 now, chapter 21, verses 4 and 5. From Mount Hor, they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom and the people became impatient on the way and the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water and we loathe this worthless food. What do we see developing here? We got some impatience, we have frustration. Part of this is because... The king of Edom, they had previously asked permission to go through, basically take a shortcut through the land of Edom, and the king of Edom said, nope, not going to let you go through here. So what, in essence, you have is the people had to go clear southeast down around the land of Edom in order to get northwest. So they're going the opposite direction that they want to go. you got lots and lots of people on foot, uh, I'm sure it was not fun hiking, and the other thing is, they've got this food that seems to be a constant source of struggle. They just, they cannot stand the, the, the manna that God has provided for them. It's interesting to think about the king of Edom here. He has told them, <clears throat> you can't go through. It's like, but God, we just had this awesome victory at Hormah. We could take these people, and, but... The king of Edom said no, and Moses did not want to incite him. He didn't want to to cause a battle. So he said, we're just going to go all the way around and trust that that's God's plan for us. So they were against God's plan. They were against Moses and what Moses was telling him. They got this food that is just, uh, as they said, a constant source of irritation. They, They complain about it and they say, you know what? Why did you bring us out here in the wilderness to die? They had just forgotten what God had done for them in slaying the, the Canaanites at Hormah. And also, consider the food. They say, we don't have any food, we don't have any water, and this food right here on my plate is disgusting, it's miserable. They actually not have food? No, they, they've forgotten God's provision there again. If you, I'm going to flip there, you don't have to go with me, but uh, John chapter 6, verse 32 and 33, Jesus compared himself to this manna, that bread of heaven that God had sent to provide for the needs of his children. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So the bread that God sent for the children of Israel provided them with physical life. They rejected that. Jesus came down that, they, that we would have spiritual life. And we're going to talk about that more here as we go. But think about that. You've got the children of Israel who are blessed with food that God sent to them in a supernatural way. And Jesus also came and provided us with, with spiritual life. Our first point this morning is that sin causes death. Sin causes death. So verse 6 is where we'll continue. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many, many people of Israel died. It says that God sent fiery serpents. Oftentimes we think that these are some type of flaming type snake, something really strange that you, you wouldn't see in nature. Uh, And I know I've seen some pictures like that in in some of the illustrated children's Bibles. It's quite frightening when you actually think about it. But uh, what what lots of scholars say is that they think that this was likely a carpet viper or a saw-scaled viper. Does that sound cuddly? A saw-scaled viper? Seems like you'd uh, like to spend some time with that one. But... These snakes are very common in this part of the world, and they are the most, they're they're the snake that bites humans the most, and they kill the most humans. They're aggressive, their venom is, is very terrible, and they bite and kill humans more than any other snake on the globe. Think about this. You've got God sends manna, they complain about the food that God has provided for them, and here. You've got a supernatural provision for food, and then you have something that comes from the wilderness that's terrible, and it brings death. The way that life works is that death is just a natural part of it, right? Left in its natural state, you just die. People die. If you go without food, if you go without water, you end up with death. But God provides supernaturally for their food, and also he provides supernaturally for us, in our, in our dead spiritual condition. When we look at verse 7, we see that the Israelites realized their sin. They came to the point when they realized that they had sinned, and the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. They admit, we have sinned, we've spoken against God, we've spoken against you, and now we, would you please just pray for us, intercede on behalf for us, and take care of this if you would. The people were caught in their sin, and they were punished. <coughs> Sometimes you wonder, are they, are they upset, are they sad, are they brokenhearted because they got caught in their sin, or because they actually see their sin the way that God does, and that it causes death but well, Moses prayed for them. You think, God, finally, these people are getting what they deserve. You sent these snakes, and I'm just having a hard time really, really thinking of a great way to pray for you guys when this is what's been going on all along here. That wasn't Moses. Maybe it was in Moses' mind, but he went ahead and prayed for them, and God provided a provision or he provided a solution for their problem. Number two, point number two is God provides a solution for Israel. <clears throat> God provides a solution for Israel. Verse eight. And the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten when he sees it shall live. God tells him, go and craft this bronze serpent and then hold it up on a pole, and the people who have been bitten will actually be able to live. They will survive the snake bite uh, you might find it interesting that, as you see things like on the patches for first responders or EMS, you see it on the ambulance there's actually a snake wrapped around a pole uh, that is the the staff of Asclepius or the rod of Asclepius he's the, the Greek god of healing. Lots of scholars point back to what Moses had on his pole, and that's kind of where they point to that healing uh, the Sometimes you also see a caduceus which has two snakes, but that's not what we're talking about today. So they also used to have clinics where they allowed snakes to kind of mill about and they thought that the snakes had healing powers so they would let the snakes just bite the patients as they wished. And uh, I'm glad that they don't like have ambulances with snakes milling around in them or clinics, but honestly, you would not catch me dead in the snake clinic. Getting back to this, Moses was to hold this bronze snake up. You think about the the amount of time that it would take for him to go track down some bronze, get a fire hot enough to heat it up and get this bronze formed into some type of of a, a snake This was not a fast thing, so people are still out there getting bit because of of the sin of complaining. But you know what? We have to think about this too. When we sin, when there's things going on in our life, the consequences often go longer than we would ever want them to. The, The problem extends. There is no quick fix when it comes to the consequences of our sin. The people were able to look at the snake and live. They had asked God or they asked Moses to pray, will you pray to God and just ask that these snakes be removed? What does that do for the people who have already been bit? How are they supposed to be healed? So if, they would have answered, if God would answer their prayer the way that, that they had asked it, you still have a whole bunch of people that are dead with no provision for their healing. But God made a provision that even those who had been bit were able to be saved in a physical way. You think it was just the complainers that got bit? It was just something I was thinking about. Is it the, the ones who were doing the complaining? They're the ones that got bit by the snakes and, and were caused to die. It's also interesting to think about that God told them to look at the staff, this thing that had just killed them off. If you got bit by a snake, is the first thing you're going to want to look at a, is a bronze snake on a, on a pole? Probably not. But... We still see the fact that snakes are just universally hated, on in the world. And uh, but what would the people who hadn't complained learn from this? Would they learn that hey, you know what? Snake bites hurt. Venom kills you. Don't go stomping around out where the snakes live. Is that the point? That's not the point. The point is that sin. Causes death, and it requires a solution. So they have a problem of sin, it causes death, and they needed a solution. God is the one who provided that solution for them. God's grace is what spared the Israelites, not the bronze snake. The bronze snake was simply the means of God's grace. It restored physical life. They were going to get physical death because of their sin But in God's grace, he was willing to restore physical life if they looked to the snake. We are also recipients of God's grace. There are sketches in the Old Testament that kind of give us a glimpse of Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, and his ministry. But we don't have to wonder on this one, because Jesus actually compared what he was going to do to Moses lifting up that snake in the wilderness. Jesus cures us from the snake bite of sin. Jesus cures us from the snake bite of sin. So let's take a look at point number three. Point number three is this God provided a solution for us. God provided a solution for us. If you would turn your Bibles with me to John chapter 3. Go to John chapter 3. We'll talk a little bit about what was going on here in this this section. Nicodemus was a religious leader at the time that Jesus was, at the time Jesus walked the earth. He was a Pharisee. But unlike some of the other Pharisees, he actually seemed to have his brain turned on a lot. And he looked at what was going on with Jesus, and he saw the things that he was doing, and it caused him to ask some questions. So he sought Jesus out to learn more about him and find out more about what Jesus had to say when it comes to matters of truth. Jesus shared the gospel with Nicodemus. He says in verse three that you must be born again. Of course, you, this, this caused some questions for Nicodemus in this, in this, uh, this uh, passage where he exchanges uh, questions and confusion with Jesus. He says, you must be born again. So he says, to see the kingdom of God, you have to be born again. It doesn't work to only be born once. There has to be a spiritual rebirth as well. The sting of sin is killing the body and soul. That's what, that's what Jesus is telling him. And the uh, other problem is he tells us that Let's just take a look here together. Verse 14. He, he points to ahead to what is going to happen for him. Verse 14 says, And as Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. This word that Jesus uses here, as far as lifted up, this is a physical lifting up. He's lifted. He's being lifted up on the pole, and not like this the snake, but it's going to be a rugged piece of wood on a hill outside of Jerusalem. That is Jesus being crucified on the cross. Nicodemus was challenged to look to Jesus in the same way that those Israelites were told, you need to look to this bronze snake to be saved physically. Nicodemus was being challenged to look to the cross, to look to Jesus in the same way. You have to think that Nicodemus probably had those words come back to his mind when he saw Jesus on the cross or when he understood that Jesus was to be crucified on that wooden cross. Let's take a look at verses 16 through 18 of John chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. Let's pick out a couple things here that are is important. We see that we will perish but through Jesus Christ, we can have eternal life. Verse 17 says that Jesus came and he told us that we're condemned, but he didn't leave it there for us. He gave us a way that we could could have that condemnation taken care of through him. Those who don't believe, verse 18 says, that they are condemned already. We talked earlier about that natural, the natural thing that you are in a state of death and that death is only taken care of through Jesus Christ. The natural course of things is death, and, but those who believe are no longer condemned. We're freed from that natural condition of condemnation. One of the applications I want you to get from today, for the, so the first application is this, God provided Jesus. Have you looked to him in, in faith for salvation from your sin? God provided Jesus, have you looked to him in faith for salvation from your sin? Whoever doesn't believe, you will succumb to the poison of sin's snakebite. You will succumb to your injuries because of sin's snakebite. There is only hope of a cure in Jesus Christ. That is our only source of curing is through Jesus Christ and what he's done. You have been bit by sin's snakebite and you need salvation. You need freedom from that sting of death that we talked about in our scripture reading this morning. That sting of death will lead to hell because of our sin. Sin's venom continues to run through our veins and this is where we can have Jesus Christ take care of that for us. When we look to him and place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Jesus was raised up for us. The bronze snake was raised up for the Israelites to, to take care of their physical death. Jesus Christ was raised up as our provision for our problem. The snake only saved their physical life. Jesus does much more for us, and what it requires of us is that we admit that we're sinners. We see our sin the way that God does. Our sin is against a holy God who, who cannot allow sin in his presence. We believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for us and that he paid that penalty for us. It's not anything that we have done, no works that we can do, but it's only through faith and trust in Jesus Christ and his provision for us on the cross. And that is what we call being born again, as Jesus talked about it with Nicodemus. So if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, you are saved, you are born again. Unfortunately, there are still some traces of that hemotoxin, of the sin venom in our body that we still fight with. Our sin nature still pops up and is a struggle for us. So, our application number two today is this Are you regularly confessing sin and looking to Jesus for victory over sin? Are you regularly confessing sin and looking to Jesus for victory over sin? Jesus is not just the the door by which we enter eternal life. He is that, but he is more than that. He is there for us to confess sin, to take care of those things, and to uh, restore that relationship with God. So we don't leave Jesus behind in his forgiveness when we enter through that door of the gospel, when we respond and when we're born again. What would happen if every time we committed a sin, we had a snake bite sensation somewhere on us? That'd be miserable, wouldn't it? You tell a lie. Ah! And you remember, okay, I just sinned. All right, maybe, maybe you punch, punch your brother or sister. Ah! It burns. Life would be miserable that way, wouldn't it? Guess what? Sin makes our lives miserable. The consequences of your sin, even though there isn't a snake bite sensation, it still makes our lives miserable, and we feel the effects of it. Just because there isn't that, that the feeling of fang sinking into your skin doesn't mean that the, the venom still isn't flowing. Sometimes we try to numb the pain by, by trying other things, whether it's entertainment, trying to keep busy. We might justify our sin or we become defensive. If someone approaches us about our sin, you can explain it away. Well, this is why I sinned. It's because of this. And well, I'm sure anybody would have done the same thing in these, in these circumstances. What about hiding sin? Do you, have to, do you have to hide sin and keep it out of sight so that nobody can see it? you got caught at it, you knew that it would be a problem. Do you blame others? Do you like to inspect other people around you for snake bites? Guess what? If you're looking for snake bites on other people, chances are there's probably some snake bites on you and that venom is at work in your life. Wanting to look and blame others is simply the, the remnants of that sin venom that's still flowing in your blood. We have to take care of sin in our lives before we can help others. What about downplaying? Ah, it's not that big of a deal. It's not that big of a deal. It's much better than what so-and-so is doing. So-and-so's standard is not God's standard. God's standard is what we have to follow. What about, are you dealing with some sin consequences now? Are there broken relationships in your life that need to be mended? Look back to the traces of that sin. Look back to the traces of that sin venom that's going on. What about uh, marriage struggles? Is your marriage not firing on all cylinders? What needs to be done to work together to restore that relationship? What about addictions? Addictions come in many forms. It's one of those ways that maybe we try to numb the effects of sin. What about impatience? The children of Israel were impatient, and it caused them to sin. It caused problems in their life. If you feel yourself being impatient, chances are there might be the snake bite of sin that's around the corner. What about discontent, discontentment? We saw the Israelites, they were discontent with their food. What things are you discontent with in life? We feel like we are entitled to the things that we want and the things that we need. But it just ends up in discontentment for us. What about complaining? Is complaining something you deal with? Complaining can quickly become self destructive. I encourage you to take a look and try to trace back some of these things that we deal with to a snake bite of sin somewhere. There's a, a snake bite. Of sin that is that stems from these problems and creates them in your life. First John one seven through nine. First John one seven through nine. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. We see that happens when we're born again, but it also is a a continual thing that allows us to restore that relationship, restore that fellowship, as it says there earlier in verse 7. Verse 8 If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So you look yourself all over for for those fang marks of sin. It's like, I can't find any. You're only deceiving yourself. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So I'm thankful that Jesus Christ continues to provide that forgiveness for us, and it, it helps us restore that relationship with God. Christ was lifted up once for us. Through confession and humility, we can experience that antidote for sin's venom. We accepted Christ as Savior, and that means no more death penalty. So I hope that you've taken that step in your life. But because of the nature of sin, it still pops up and creates problems in our lives. And that's where we still have to come back and confess our sin to Jesus, and we're able to experience a renewed fellowship with God. The struggles and sting of sin's consequences are a continuous reminder that we need a solution to our sin problem. So, sin causes death. God provided a solution for the Israelites. God provided a solution for us. And Jesus Christ is the only cure for the snake bite of sin. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your love for us. And it was because of that love that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. Thank you that when we confess our sin, you are faithful and just to forgive us that sin and and you will cleanse it from our lives. Lord, as we go through our life, I just pray that we would be sensitive to the nature of sin in our lives and see that at work in the different ways that the consequences pop up. Help us to take care of that sin with you and with others who we've sinned against and help us to grow to be more like Jesus Christ in these things. We just ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.